This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, August 26, 2020, and my guest is JC Bagnell. Hi. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing really well. I'm really glad. I, I was just looking at our Skype log, and it's been it's been about a year since we've had a conversation yeah. last. I'm really glad to talk to you again. That's part of the reason I wanted to have you on. I was like, damn, I haven't had JC on in such a while. And also, you know, I was looking at your content recently, and I've been covering a lot of earbuds. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about you know, the Galaxy Buds Live a little bit. I know you don't have them, but I do. And in general, more like some of the things you've covered in your videos lately, which is like people don't know how to wear earbuds. Like <laughs> yeah. It's driving me nuts. And then, um, of course, we, we, we have to talk of the elephant in the room, which is the Surface Duo unboxings came up this morning. Mm-hmm. And so I want your take on this dual screen Android life that's coming upon us based on our you know, combined experience using things sure. like the LG dual screen cases, the latest of which is the LG Velvet, which I just reviewed for Hot Hardware, and I know you've been playing with extensively. Yeah. So let's dive into that. I want to hear your thoughts in general about where we're at today without the dual and the dual screen world, and where do you think we're going, and whether we can pull it off. Yeah, I mean, my my big mission over the last couple of years has just been to talk up competition. And I'm I, I think a lot of us in the tech space are tired of trying to classify phones by price. You know, yeah. like there can only be one winner at $9.99 and one winner at $4.99 when instead, I, especially over this last year, it's been beautiful seeing some pretty wild and experimental phones hitting the market again. Uh, and, and Velvet, I think, is a is a really good representation of playing the right compromises while still trying to build a nice experience. And uh, LG software game has improved tremendously. I mean, there's still definitely room for improvement on LG. We used to just always sort of uh, instantly pan LG software, but they're executing a modular strategy that's a lot more exciting um, when we're looking at really trying to push the boundaries of what you can do on a phone on the go. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, for me, the big challenge about their software is not so much being that it hasn't gotten better. I think it has. I feel like it's faster and stream more streamlined for sure, but I feel the aesthetics need a revamp. And I feel like in the same way as the Velvet like kind of rebooted the industrial design mm-hmm. aspects of the LG phone and finally brought them, you know, back to 2020 in a way because they were kind of like stuck on that V30 design language, which wasn't terrible at the time, but kind of aged poorly in my opinion. Oh, well, and it was inconsistent because they had gone, if you remember the G7 days, they were still playing with an iPhone-like launcher experience. I mean, those were the dark days of LG software. But now (laughs) I think everyone's trying to kind of piggyback on this South Korean Samsung style. Like where even where we see the OnePlus... Yeah, yeah, big bubbly panels and moving icons around. And even OnePlus is taking a step in that direction on the Android 11 beta. So, you know, it's it's funny because LG's new UX kind of catches them up 
2019. They're speaking a 2019 design language. But for LG, that's still a pretty good shot in the arm from where they used to be. But I still feel like, you know, when I heard about the Velvet and how they were going to reboot their design, I was like, okay, great, that's nice. And then I don't feel like there's much of a difference between the software on the Velvet versus software on the V60. And so... Yeah, it's very subtle. I was hoping there'd be more... Of a revamp. And, 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 and I mean, like, you got to go digging. It's things like the desktop mode is yeah. is functionally more usable on the Velvet. That's not going to be a, a key core service for a lot of smartphone users. Um, things like shortcuts got better. You know, like uh, people have been talking up the Surface Duo for having these, like, instant two-screen launcher yeah, shortcuts. Yeah, but that was on the V60, wasn't it? I, but it didn't. It didn't launch on the V60. V60 is catching oh, up to it. Velvet. I see. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, right. Again, it's really little things like that. But again, every phone that's come out, I would say since the G8, we've seen a little bit of polish here, a little bit of refinement there. It's a huge ship to steer, and and I think LG really hasn't gotten enough credit for making some of these changes, even if they aren't as as visible or as exciting as uh, we'd hoped they would be. I think so. I think you're right. My my concern was the LG Velvet. If I had to sell it to someone, yeah, like convince it's them tough. about it. It's a tough <laughs> sell because of two things. First of all, ignoring the dual screen case, and because I pretty much ignored the dual screen case in my review, I I explained that the experience is very similar as what you'd get on a V60 with the latest software updates, and I pointed them to my V60 review. Um, but I wanted to actually try the Velvet as a non-dual display device. I wanted like mm-hmm. I haven't used an LG phone really standalone like as its main purpose for a while and I want to see like in a world I love that expression <laughs> in, in a, a world. world where you know people buy single screen devices right now and that $500 5G-ish you know around the $500 mark 5G-ish price point is very competitive where mm-hmm. does the Velvet fit into that? And my takeaway was this is a very competent phone that does everything pretty decently, but it's basically kind of boring and not spectacular enough to stand out, especially for $600, especially when it's carrier locked in the US or carrier exclusive. Right. And so that's kind of my issue. It's like, I wish like if it was, if it stayed at $600 and it's again standalone, we can add the case and it makes a completely Mm -hmm. different story. But standalone, I wish it had... For $600, I wish it had a 90 hertz display. I wish it had OIS on the main camera and it was available unlocked. At that price point, with those only changing those three things, I could say this phone is competitive today. But I feel that they missed the boat on these kind of critical things, you know? Yeah, the, the tricky thing is, is competitive for whom? Um, I, I feel like Velvet represents a pivot. You know, we we can talk up the premium smaller phones from LG and and how we they always had like completely perfectly competitive specs against a more expensive Samsung but those devices didn't sell so you right. know we don't get a G9 we get a Velvet instead and I think LG was one of the companies that took it the worst last year in 2019 yeah. during 5G especially with the way that the V50 was handled I, when I when I say that the Velvet is is the perfect blend of compromises, I really do mean that because yeah, me too. It's like a perfectly competent, does everything kind of okay phone, <laughs> but it's just there's to me it's lack it just lacks excitement somehow. Like, but but I think and I hate to say that because it sucks for LG. You know, where are they gonna what are they gonna do? No, see, I, I disagree with you. I just think this is a phone that's not for us. You know, like you ah. and me literally sitting on this phone is. 
I can't think of a prettier phone that's come out. So if you're walking very into pretty. if you if you're walking into an AT&T store or once the velvet goes to T-Mobile and Verizon and you know LG's always pushed aside to that dusty little corner of every carrier <laughs> store. When you when you're a consumer and you go in there, if you just see another wannabe Samsung slab with a 90 hertz display, as an average consumer, you're not going to notice that there's anything special about that phone tucked out in the corner. But if you go in and you see this kind of reflective jewel tone, and then you see something next to it that looks like two screens stapled together, that might actually draw your eye. That might actually right. encourage you to walk over. All the things that we care about, you know, like OIS, no one's going to notice a lack of OIS picking up this phone in a carrier store. No. And I, I can shoot 4K video chasing after my daughter on a push bike, and the software stabilization yeah. looks pretty much the no, same. I'm talking about like, you know, how it improves the light performance for cell photography. I mean, that's really all. But right? low light performance is improved because this is LG's first implementation of that 48 megapixel quad Bayer sensor. And again, the low light performance when you you hold still, like, I, you know, I've been shooting a lot with the Pixel 4a and everyone knows Google, you know, best night sight, whatever. But in about half the amount of time, because of the larger sensor on the velvet, you get comparable night shots. So you don't have to hold for six seconds. You can hold for like three, three yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're still getting that overscanned. But that's true bin. of every 48 and 64 megapixel camera that's been out recently. And uh, uh, having tested a whole bunch, I don't think that LG is doing anything spectacularly better with this camera system than anyone else. But that's just it is, does it need to be spectacularly better at 599 for a 5G device in the United States that's trying to appeal to people that want a pretty phone? That, that I mean, that's what I mean is like, it, it's, it's- I guess I want more. I expect LG more. is not targeting that for us. If targeting for us is V60, you know, like if you want all that, then you're looking at V60. Yeah, but V60 lacked a telephoto and didn't have a 90 hertz display, which is what I dinged it on. But, you know, Samsung doesn't have any telephoto sensors. And again, well, they do on the Note 20 Ultra. Yeah. So if you step up to a yeah, $1,400 phone. <laughs> I know you're right about the fact that the S20 and the Note 20 regular have like a fake telephoto. Right. It, it, it's all pixel binning and cropping. And it sucks. Honestly, I felt that the Velvet, not the Velvet, the V60 64 megapixel zoom, you know, if you use the main sensor as a zoom, which is basically what Samsung's doing, uh, mm -hmm. but they're not using the main sensor. They have a dedicated sensor, but it's essentially the same. They're cropping. Mm -hmm. The results are pretty much one for one. Like They're pretty close. And now Samsung yeah. still has a little bit of an edge because of the sub-pixel arrangement. I mean, again, we're, we're, we're really getting deep in yeah, the weeds we're there. we're getting but, technical. But this, this is really, I mean, this interesting conversation is Velvet can appeal because it's modular. You can make it a Note Lite competitor. You can just make it a really pretty phone if you just want a really pretty phone. You can go dual screen, dual screen, and stylus support. It's this this whole new strategy from LG, cutting costs, refining, simplifying their product lines, using the same OLEDs for two different phones and two different cases. It, I think it's the right pivot. Now we just need to see if this is gonna if this is gonna resonate with consumers. I think LG needs to sell things better too, because like <laughs> marketing definitely. Even as a journalist, and they never even talk to me about things like Wacom pen support. You know, I know it's there because I'm not an idiot. And but, so, but I mean, like we were we were unboxing V60 it was TK and I in the middle of a live stream where we discovered that, you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you I know, know, again, it would be nice if if uh, LG could 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 put some a, a little bit more focus towards traditional marketing in North America, because it would it would help tell their story a lot easier than 
sponsored videos on YouTube. Cause, cause again, you can't reach someone. I, you, I don't think you can reach the person that velvet is targeted for on YouTube. I think no. you reach the target consumer for velvet, traditional media, billboards, TV and radio advertising, showing it off on like morning talk television TV, shows. Yeah. yeah. That that's where you reach the velvet. It's consumer. a, it's a, it's a phone for olds. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think for me, for me, what vexes me the most is that these are tiny little things that I know they didn't do because of cost saving. Like, oh, I think they they totally did. OIS is not a huge deal. No, ninety hertz is not a huge no, deal. No, OIS on a, a larger image sensor that LG hasn't worked with in the past does add costs. It adds depth to the camera module. To me, it's a deal, but I understand for a lot of people it isn't a huge deal. But I feel like. Every time I, see, I review a phone that doesn't have like these pillars now, I'm like, I have to point it out. And it's like, it's also annoying when you get a headphone jack and then you don't have the quad DAC when we've been used to it. You know, well, it's like, but again, on. it's, it's who is this targeted for? And 90 hertz? Well, the audience doesn't care about headphone jack. The audience cares, the, the audience who cares about headphone jack wants the good DAC and headphone amp. No, I don't believe that's true because if that were true, then we wouldn't be relegating headphone jacks to all of the poor people phones like the A51. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm serious. Like, you you're gonna Is that see a poor person phone, really. <laughs> Unfortunately, in our current climate of <laughs> a Galaxy Fold two probably coming out over yeah. two grand, an A fifty one now is a phone that speaks broke. Um, the uh, the but the thing yeah, is, Walmart sells it. In fact, <laughs> right. So if we look at ninety hertz, what does ninety hertz do? It it's a more fluid looking experience, but it adds significant costs. They would have to have a different OLED or a more expensive OLED. And then we'd also probably be dealing with the lottery of black crush and green tint that seems to be yeah. plaguing oh, yeah. uh, OnePlus and, I mean, and Samsung. The biggest reason for the uh, not 90 hertz is because they have the dual screen case and then they have, it would be really expensive to have dual screen 90 hertz, right? Like yeah, I your, get it. Your case would probably at least be 50% more expensive than it already is. Yeah. And since no one's buying LG at, less than Samsung prices for exactly comparable specs, why play that game? And you make a pivot. So the only thing that, that you probably then agree that they could have done that they didn't do, and I don't understand why they didn't do it, and I feel like they're kind of like wimping out and selling out to the carriers, is they could have made an unlocked version available. Yeah, that's actually been a really interesting... I, I would have assumed maybe even the Snapdragon 845 version would make it to the United States as an unlocked option. Um, I, this is the one thing I don't understand is because of how V50 got stomped um, on the US carrier uh, circuit for 5G and then lost Sprint support when Sprint and T-Mobile uh, joined up. Yeah, That's yeah. the one thing I, I'm kind of curious at. Now, I, the realities of American 5G is unlocked right now basically means you can use 5G on T-Mobile and then it's an unlocked 4G device. And I think that might be the reason why they're not playing that game. You know, if they want to get a phone on AT&T, if they want to get a phone on Verizon, you have to make... Yeah, but I feel like they already make a SKU that has 5G low band, the AT&T SKU. Right. Sell that unlocked without the bloatware. Sell a hundred of them. <laughs> I don't care. It's there. It looks but, good. But, but again, know? 5G is, is... Around the rest of the world, they have regulatory agencies in place to actually handle new network connectivity. Here in the United States, we've got fake competition <laughs> where a new radio comes out and it's basically just an excuse to revive 
all of the old carrier lock-in tricks. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you can't take your phone somewhere else. And it's the same thing that burned OnePlus. You know, OnePlus 8 is so much more expensive in the United States because you have to have a T-Mobile version. There is technically an unlocked version, but it doesn't work on anything for 5G except for T-Mobile. Then you've got a Verizon version, which has different buttons, so you can't even use the same yeah, case. Yeah, because of millimeter wave. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. And it, I so, mean, the millimeter, don't even get, get me started on the millimeter wave tax, which is what I call it, which is yeah, no not joke. my idea with Sasha Segan who termed it. And, <laughs> and the fact that every Verizon phone that has, that is not, like every phone that Verizon sells that's normally only a low band 5G phone mm -hmm. is a custom version that costs $100 or $50 more because of millimeter wave. And sometimes there's a completely different layout in terms of controls. It's ridiculous. So I, I completely agree. I, I, I think that the unlocked conversation right now is just delicate because unlocked 5G doesn't really exist yet. I mean, Samsung's doing it. Yeah, but can you go and take your unlocked Galaxy S20 to different carriers easily with the same? I mean, again, it's everything. I've done it. I've got a couple of S20s that are unlocked. But everything that's been built into this model right now and how consumers are likely to shop this stuff. The, the number one phone manufacturer with the widest reach, the biggest distribution, and the most leverage against Qualcomm right now is literally the only player that can play that yeah. game. That's Even true. Apple, with their $2 trillion market cap, cannot play that game with modems and radios in the United States. Yeah, well, that's because so. they only started getting back into being friends with Qualcomm. <laughs> right. You got to be friends with Qualcomm, right? But the, the the point I completely agree with is if we have learned about a, uh, a Velvet with a Snapdragon 845, and that's only an LTE phone, it would make it that would have made perfect sense to throw that up on B and H or Amazon yeah. something, make it a limited edition phone. You know, sell just a a grip of them and get that sort of to help populate some of the popularity of the device. That that really would have made a lot of sense. But again, everything about Velvet really speaks to that consumer going into the store experience to try and compare against an A71. And that's my point. It's like LG is so tied to the carriers. Like it's like you got to stop and get out of that. Even Moto made us a 5G unlocked phone with the Edge. And I've reviewed that as well. And there's tons of issues. The biggest of which is no <laughs> OIS on the cameras, which in this case really matters because as we know, Moto can't make a camera to save its life. Yeah. Um, so my point is that I want to see Moto is also that that company that keeps launching 5G phones other than the Edge that are like locked to carriers and I'm sick of it. I'm like, come on, like this is going to become a hyper competitive segment. Yeah. This 500-ish dollar 5G range. And when Pixel comes out, you know, we're going to talk about the, the leaks on the Pixel 5. When Pixel 5 and 4A <laughs> 5G come out with 5G, when, you know, OnePlus Nord comes to the US, we we'll talk about that as well. Like, this is going to, like, the, the Velvet's not going to survive at $600. Of course, by then it'll be like 450 on sale at carriers, but it'll still be not unlocked and it'll still be not 90 hertz, which these other phones <laughs> will be. And it'll still be not OIS, which these other phones will be. And most people won't care about the dual screen case. So turning it around, because I don't want to run out of time, let's talk about the dual screen case and the context yeah. of dual and, and should you wait and buy the Duo for $1,400 NFC with a single non-OIS 11 megapixel camera that we have <laughs> no idea, what the hell is 11 megapixel? I've never even heard of that sensor. Right. Should we wait for that or should we? Should you go out there today? If you're, say you're going to buy from AT&T no matter what, because they're both available on AT&T, 
should you buy a velvet for 700 I assume the case is 100 bucks uh, basically half the price and you know get better cameras <laughs> get uh, <laughs> get a headphone jack get NFC so should you do that or like Microsoft's promising all this cool software you watch I'm not sure if you watched a 35 minute oh, video yeah, yeah the, the Panos you know uh, getting teary eyed about the power of his phone totally I had it in the show notes last week the link to that video but do you think that the velvet could at least somewhat compete with the duo from what we've seen or do you think oh, that absolutely. LG really needs to hold to like revamp the software as we've been saying they should no, and and my my uh, my criticisms of LG and software kind of go hand in hand with the fact that I think we've seen substantial improvements already. Uh, I, I think where we're at now is LG refining this concept so that the modularity uh, is employed in a in a more direct or more consumer accessible way. You know, the 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 whole thing is something like the Surface is still going to appeal to someone who has some notion of needing a higher tier of processing power. You know, they fancy themselves some kind of power user. Maybe they're already purchased into the Surface ecosystem, you know, going from like a Surface book or a Surface laptop and then adding your Surface mini folding tablet phone thing might make a little bit more sense. But I mean, we should also, I don't think anyone's too shocked by the notion of it being a first generation a uh, dual screen device from Microsoft. So we keep our expectations in check there. You know, it's, it's sort of a curiosity. It's sort of a fascination. It's, it's a real device. Consumers are going to be able to go and buy one and pick one up and play with the one if they, if they want to, but the velvet on, on every front still represents a better true daily driver smartphone experience. You know, for, for these other lifestyle quality of life features that we talk about, like wireless charging. Right. I'm actually not a huge fan of wireless charging. NFC. <laughs> you know, and and we can we can really talk up NFC. The the reality of like mobile payments, Google Pay is a is a mere fraction of the market for just like tap and pay from your credit card or using Apple Pay. So but that's changed a lot with the pandemic, right? Well, contactless is is you know, people are working really aggressively to to move on other contactless, but you know, the the next iteration of this is likely going to be QR codes again. You know, even mm -hmm. Apple Pay is rumored to be working on QR code payments. PayPal is really popular, Venmo is really popular. I mean, there are other services that compete and go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Pay in China. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a perfect example. And so, you know, I, I don't really feel like NFC is that much of a deal breaker as much as it's probably a, a dying radio standard. You know, when Apple Pay decides to implement something like QR codes, and that's already the solution I use when I go into a Starbucks. You know, the, the, my Starbucks loyalty card is on a barcode. It's not yeah, on, a, yeah. on an NFC uh, solution. I feel like consumers will get that. I just that. feel it like it's other than barcodes, which I think is a viable option. I feel that you know what Samsung and LG are doing, which is using MagStripe Mag, yeah. Mag emulation, is actually very unsafe. It's, it's not very secure. And I think that NFC is more secure. And I feel like that's oh, why definitely. Apple is doing NFC and Google are doing NFC. I think NFC is not a, is not going to disappear. I think having no, next series is so cheap. It has other uses like pairing Bluetooth devices. Well, but that's where 
ultra wideband is now being pitched as the next standard. Yeah, and maybe it'll be rolled into it, you know, in the same way as Qi is still yeah, there as a, as a kind of baseline wireless standard for charging, but now everybody's got their custom wireless charging standards. But don't you feel like Magstripe kind of trained bad habits, like rubbing your phones on the credit card kiosks? And That's stuff. terrible. It's terrible. You know, now let me wipe my phone on the payment kiosk and then touch my phone to my Ugh. face when I take a yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, the reality is for me, me, what I the way I look at this is I could never really get into the dual screen on the LG phones and right. I'm not saying that's that's totally me right like it's on me I'm not saying it's not right for you or for my listeners I feel that I just never felt that, that I knew what to do with that extra real estate that mm -hmm. I could organize my workflow to take advantage of both and the bulk and inconvenience um, and battery life hit was not something I was kind of interested in living with. Well, which is interesting because I, it, for what testing I could do, the battery hit wasn't that much worse bad. than kicking no. on 90 hertz, you know? Totally, you could, but that's my point. I'd rather have 90 hertz on a single you screen. You can double this, the... See, give me can... the option between two screens at 60 and one at 90. I'll take the one at 90 anytime. No, your, your, your concerns, I think, perfectly illustrate the, the education gap. And this is where I really feel an LG marketing directly to consumers in more traditional, uh, in more traditional methods, would help this a lot. Because the the beautiful thing, I mean, again, one of the selling points now. It's funny watching people celebrate LG's case solution over the Surface Duo because it's part time. You can have a regular yeah. phone. You can have a dual screen phone. You're not married. Uh, to this hardware, um, which I think is funny because before the Surface was really out, the the commentary was very like, oh, well, why would you want that? <laughs> and now we've suddenly seemed to have all discovered the reasons why it might be a good idea. I mean, LG needs to jump on this and use it as a marketing thing. Half the price, oh, yeah. same ex same experience. like uh, Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, and it's not quite the same experience. I think that some of what I've seen in that demo for 35 minutes from Microsoft is really slick, and I wish that's LG. LG's software has never been their strong suit in general. Like Korean companies and software, meh. But I feel like, <laughs> and we know, Mike, we know Microsoft and Google and Apple make better software. American companies totally. make better software in general. I just feel like I want to see LG copy or emulate some of that the stuff I'm seeing there. Um, you know, Microsoft obviously is showing things that are woo, wow, but they've already been on the uh, dual cases from LG, like the, the start to start to apps on a single shortcut thing, exactly. right? So so I think that it would be only fair for LG to copy back some of the, uh, you know, span the span feature, I think is terribly done on the Velvet and the 60 yeah. and all of the LG dual cases. Well, and, and you can kind of tell, like there was an engineer decision to not really focus on that and to focus more on multitasking. And granted, there's such a gap between the two exactly, screens. Exactly, that's the exactly what I was going to say. Is that gap. Every, I, I was doing Google Maps last night on the LG Velvet with the dual screen case and in span mode just for for fun. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, I can't do this. It's too much of a gap. It looks okay with the screens in landscape, but there's You're a right. natural tendency to hold it in portrait because it opens like a book. Yeah. Um, no, the the thing that I kind of point to, and it's it's a very particular. Uh, mentality that I think will do very well with um, with dual screen cases, and then I think there are a couple people that will be that will enjoy a part time uh, functionality uh, lifestyle usage for dual screen. But it, it's 
there's a particular feel or there's a particular usage for gaming and for keeping multiple um, apps up running at the same time. I, I've become notorious like I, I'm yeah, I, I will very regularly turn to my V60 and stream a video while I play a game, you know, right. like. I, I don't really care much about the game audio. And at the same time, I could be, you know, streaming a documentary like an audio book at the same time and be able to kind of reference both. And, you know, now that my living room is also my wife's office and my daughter's school, you know, we're all kind of working out our own headphone strategies and computer strategies. And now I've got a phone that handles that kind of leisure time very privately, not bothering anyone else. And it's, you know, I, I can maximize that. I only got an hour to play this game, and I also wanted to keep watching that Michael Jordan documentary. So, I mean, it's things like that um, really kind of wake up how much power is being left unused on our phones, e even on Velvet. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm doing a lot of stuff on V60 still, um, but even on Velvet, like this phone doesn't slow down for anything when you're playing games and nope. streaming video or streaming video and managing a discord and writing an article in word on a Bluetooth keyboard. I mean, it's, it's getting used to that idea of moving things around, of having the extra space, the, the whole notion, like I've seen so many velvet videos where all they do is open up the phone, fire up wide mode for Google maps and go, Oh, but the hinge, <laughs> No, there's more to it than that. That sure. is the absolute worst example of what dual screen can be used for. Kudos, you found it. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, there, there is laptop replacement potential. It just needs to be kind of better spoon fed to the people who might be interested in that. And then it's still so new. There are a lot of people that would probably love it, but trying it, you know, yeah. Actually, taking a risk on it or taking a gamble on it is tough to, to sell. I think LG missed an opportunity by pre-setting some dual shortcuts. Like, they, when you, during setup, they should say, like, we created some dual screen shortcuts we think are popular um, using the apps you installed uh, as, you know, as part of your, you know, maybe once a week, it should go through your apps and go like, oh, here are some good combos. See, that's genius right there. Like, you know, I, I, I that, that is absolutely now something that I'm going to be mad is not on. <laughs> on I keep LG. thinking like, what are the combos? Like, I can't figure them out. Right. <laughs> like, if I use Gmail, what I really want is what they showed on the Duo, which is mm -hmm. the email list on the left screen and the actual messages on the right. And I can't do that right now unless I'm in portrait mode, full span. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, yeah. landscape mode, full span. On and, the and, and you're trying to treat it like it's some awkward mini tablet, which Android doesn't really do And then well. it's bad because I still have the gap in between the two because it doesn't put the gap in the right place. <laughs> um, so that's one thing that I think LG needs to address. Like there is tablet mode on some of these apps. I mean, I'll 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 do you one further though. It's it's the the hilarity. It's you know the thing I love about LG and kind of cringe about LG is uh, it would be really helpful if they would just document what the 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 sort of tap and finger gesture shortcuts were. Right. Because I I still see techies, you know, reviewers who should know better tapping that tiny little icon so you can get your options to move or swap swap screens or turn on the second display and like. No, don't do that. Tap on the screen, three finger swipe, you know, move these things around, set up a shortcut. You can auto populate an app. But again, LG didn't doesn't explain any of that. You no. know, it's like I, I 
we, we, I had to go digging through like, uh, the, the PR materials and some of the white papers on the dual screen case. And nobody's going to do that. It's all there deep in the settings, but you're right. Like no one's going to do that. So even though it would be great to have some of the advanced stuff that you're talking about, this I think is emblematic of some of the challenges that LG faces is this is actually way more elegant than it's been shown to be wide mode and these fiddly little menus is not dual screen when you're really using it dual screen is double tap three finger swipe split screen on another screen you know pop up and floating apps moving video around playing using a a, a whole screen as a game controller this stuff is so fluid and organic and it's wonderfully made but getting to it is kind of a chore when you're first trying to get your sea legs on dual display yeah, and I think that's the thing that that thirty-five minute Microsoft video really makes it look easy and mm-hmm. intuitive, and sweet. And again, if LG can copy some of that stuff, and at the same time, like really walk people through it and automatically generate some dual pairs, mm-hmm. uh, shortcut pairs, and you know, I think that will really help a lot. And right now, we're not seeing any of that. And then you end up with like reviews like mine, where I was like, "It's the dual screen's a gimmick anyway. I'm not going to even bother reviewing it for this phone." But there's there's <laughs> other things too. I mean, like we're going to get a lot of positive buzz on Surface Duo for things like just being able to prop up a screen. So even if you're only using one screen, you've got right. a built-in stand, or yeah. you know, using or tent mode, yeah, the tent mode, or using. Um, I, I love to use my V60 dual display as just a handle for the phone when I'm shooting video. Oh, yeah. um, you know, th- things like that go a long way to improving the, uh, the sort of ergonomic experience, but, but it would be nice if LG were getting out ahead because they've got the lead, you know, they've been doing dual display since the V50. So now we need to see, can they, can they properly communicate why they've been in this space and why, you know, a Microsoft hard connecting to displays isn't uh, the only solution for dual display now. It's funny, they're, they're going to have to play defense even though they have the lead <laughs> in this conversation. Yeah. So wrapping up a little bit on this, because uh, I want to move to earbuds, yeah, sure. but um, it's kind of a segue. You know, I put in the podcast topics that uh, there is that uh, LG Wing, that demo video right, that Android Authority posted. And... We knew this was coming. Like we'd heard rumors of this, and then we finally now have a video demonstrating it in action. So, you know, Android Authority got an exclusive on that. Pretty cool. I guess they somehow got leaked that 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 video. Uh, what is your quick take on 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 this design and this idea? I'm it, again. I'm 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 very curious. I'm a big fan of dual modular and extra displays. I'm. So now I'm so familiar and I'm so into the dual screen life, having two match displays that it does kind of crimp my brain a little bit. (laughs) Another workflow (laughs) having. Yeah, again, it's a completely different workflow. Um, the, The notion of having a full screen landscape app and then having a portrait keyboard seems kind of cool. Like I can already see like that could be kind of a benefit. Yeah. Can you imagine typing in what it called T mode where you're holding to the bottom leg of the T, right? <laughs> right. And that's where your keyboard is. And then same thing, like I, I love using mapped controllers on my dual display phones. And now I could have a Game Boy style controller Correct. for yeah, a, yeah. A, 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 um, a landscape oriented uh, a game. I, I think the thing that makes me nervous is... Uh, and any phone with moving parts, and we're talking big OLEDs, twisting and turning, 
I'm I, I took my V60 to the beach and then like a dummy kept it in the dual screen case and the entire time was just crazy anxious about whether or not I was going to get that one grain of sand yeah. um, in the hinge. And so that's that's the 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 thing that makes me a little bit more nervous about that. I mean, we've seen people that have been busting up their V60 cases and it's a case, you know, so yeah. it actually did its job. It's an expensive uh, case to lose <laughs> Protection, if, you, yeah. if you break it, but you didn't damage your phone when that's hard built into the device. And I have similar concern from the Surface Duo. And the Duo has this problem too, though, because exactly. it's glass in the back too, right? So so now I'm I'm more anxious about what could be a more fragile experience, not the same kind of chuck it in my wife's purse where all gadgets go to die. Um <laughs> Now, now I'm thinking about handling the device in a different way, and I'm way more cavalier with Velvet and V60 because it'll it'll suck and it's expensive. But if I bust that case, it was just a case. Case, yeah. And now the wing gives me a little bit more pause for an experiment because I don't. I mean, we haven't seen LG execute hinges since like the flip phone days. Yeah, I mean, at the same time. I'm kind of like going to channel Michael Fisher a little bit here, Mr. Mobile. (laughs) You know, when phones were fun, like this is a return to that. Oh, totally. You know, we need more fun form factors. And I embrace this idea, even though it might really suck and I might not like it. I just want to see what it's like. I want to play with it. I encourage companies to try things. And LG is big enough to do that. And I hope it comes to the US or at least we can get our hands on one just to try yeah. it out. You know? I, again, this is all said in love and I hope that it will be good. Oh, yeah. But but I think one of the biggest strengths, it's the thing that's made me so excited about V60 and Velvet is, um, you know, LG didn't execute modular very well on the G5. Uh, the no. whole friends concept was not a good execution on making one platform that could be targeted to different consumers. And now with V60 and Velvet, we have one main phone, or I mean, two, but you know, a, a main phone that can be a very different experience with a couple simple accessory purchases. Yeah. And, and that that's what really gets me lit up. You know, again, this is a very smart and tactical execution from LG to save on on manufacturing costs and still offer a wonderfully broad consumer experience i just wish they were talking about it a little yeah. bit more publicly they, they need to sell it and again i'm worried they're never not, not even going to take this dual opportunity to do it oh man yeah. um moving on to <laughs> earbuds i want to give you a quick let's see i'm gonna try to time it 30 second review of the galaxy buds live okay and then i want to talk to you about fit and yeah how people do are doing it wrong or or sh- how we can educate them to do it right so the 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 buds live I love the form factor and the design is is genius in the sense that like kudos to the engineering team that came up with this idea of a of a bean-shaped device that fits in your ear and it's very comfortable and it it works well. It's kind of halfway between a just sits in your ear device and it goes into your ear canal device. Like for me it's it's actually deeper in my ear canal than AirPods would be. Um like the regular AirPods. Uh, but at the same time the sound isn't that great. I think the Buds Plus are better. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the active noise canceling on them is just a checkbox. I mean, it, it does work. It does reduce some of the lower frequencies and mid, mid frequencies a little bit. Like it kind of basically, like I'm going to put my hand in front of my face here. 
I get muscles that look bit like this, you know? Oh, yeah. For the outside world, which is nice. But honestly, I get better isolation from the, from the silicone tips on the Buds Plus. And the sound quality is better on the Buds Plus overall, I feel. Um, so that's my quick review of having had them for about a week now. The Buds Live or the Galaxy Beans, as I like to call them. I can't right. believe they didn't go for that naming. How great would that have been? Oh I mean, especially God. when even internal, like parts inside of them are referred to as the beans. I just feel like it would have been so much more fun. Yeah. So, so that brings me to a thing. I don't know if you heard the podcast where I reviewed the, it's a few weeks back now, where I reviewed the OnePlus Buds. And I still feel that for $79, they're the ones that impressed me the most in the last mm-hmm. few Buds that I've re- reviewed because of the sound quality. And yeah. I think it's highly uh, dependent on fit um, because as oh, you know, extremely. they don't have a silicone tips, right? Yeah. So they don't, I mean, they don't sit in your ear canal as equally as they would on somebody else's ear canal, uh, especially if you adjust the size of the, the silicone tips. But I found them to sound phenomenal for $79. And uh, of course, they, you know, they don't do any kind of noise isolation or cancellation. Um, but they have great battery life. They sound good. They're mm-hmm. affordable. And so I was very impressed with them. But then I got so much pushback from other journalists and reviewers and YouTube creators about, I think they sound like crap. They're too bass heavy. And I hate bass heavy earbuds. <laughs> like, I'm kind of old school and I like my really neutral. So I was right. like, what are you talking about? And then we had to start having discussion. And I found out that after talking to half of them on messaging apps, like trying to like ask them some strategic questions, I found out that they weren't wearing them properly. And yeah. once they did, they were like, oh my God, this is completely different. And I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. see where I'm coming from? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And some of them are like, no, I still don't like them. And I'm like, fair enough. You probably have different ears than me. We all do. That's fair. Mm-hmm. And so I think the challenge for these AirPod style, original AirPod style, just sit in your ear canal in the ear opening earbuds, like the free buds from, uh, from Huawei and others, is that you really... It's not one size fits all, and the acoustics are going to depend on how they fit in your ear. Yeah, they're lazily the best option just to plop something in front of the ear canal. They're easy for people because- But that doesn't mean they're fitting. Yes, and a lot of people don't like stuff in their ear. Like, I get it. Like, a lot of people are adverse to having something inserted in their ear canal. That's a very Mm -hmm. real thing. So, on one hand, I I like the universal fit kind of idea, but we all know that's not going to sound right for everyone. And especially right. the, how do we educate them about put them on properly? Like, I like how Apple on the AirPods Pro has a thing that tells you, oh, um, you need to update to the bigger or smaller size um, silicone tips. Like it detects it somehow. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, um, so the, 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 the whole like uh, using the ear chamber as sort of an uh, acoustic chamber to Correct, measure. Correct, to measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I so some more stuff like that would definitely be a perk. I, I'm just happy to see more uh, sort of uh, proximity sensors being put into these things, just yeah. so that you know, like you know, I've got a, cu- a pair of earbuds that I can feel when they're starting to slide, and just as they're starting to slide, they pause. It pauses, and you're like, okay, see, we're we're starting to get it. You know, True Wireless is starting to get it. But yeah. a part of that is also just simply, you know, that that part of your conversation where you were having that with tech journalists, just because it's cradled on the outer ridge of your ear doesn't mean it's fitting. Right. And, and again, I kind of I kind of lay some blame at Apple here for a very similar thing that we were just talking to LG about. Apple has never shipped 
a pair of earbuds with any any spacers or sizers to fit. They've always saved that extra penny of cost on silicone tips or silicone bumpers. And you know, even back to the days of the iPod, it's always been just a generic open yeah, ear yeah. earbud. And that's trained a huge chunk of uh, the consumer base that that's what earbuds should sound like. Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, if you go further back, like I'm older and of course I was around in the 80s when Walkman were a thing in the <laughs> 90s when Discman were a thing. And, you know, earbuds existed and they were all semi-open like that. They were all yeah. like they didn't look like the AirPod design. It was a big deal when we started getting those crappy sport buds. The Fontopia <laughs> brand from Sony. Right. They all rested on your inside yeah. your ear, like not in the canal, but like on the outside on their little ledge basically so you know growing up for me i got accustomed to earbuds like that and so it wasn't until i discovered like in-ear monitors yeah. like proper in the mid 90s like edematic like sure you know like professional for musicians and you know that you ideally you want a custom ear mold or you mm -hmm. want to use a foam earplug type tip that's what i'm listening to you on right now are some custom molds or even like you know, size the silicone properly. Like until I discovered those, I didn't even realize there were such things as earbuds that go inside your ear canal. Mm -hmm. So today there like there's an abundance of earbuds with silicone tips that go in your canal. And I loved your video and I will link to it on how you explain to folks how there's different kinds of ear tips for yeah. those and that you should get custom molds if you're really serious and you can afford it, especially if you have really higher end earbuds like wired in your monitors well, right? and, and beyond even just like uh, the sort of audiophile experience or the professional experience i think my wife is a really good example uh, she, you know she's she's not a, a media consumer in any audiophile kind of way but her ear canals are so ridiculously small we almost couldn't get the custom molds done but they're so small she's never been able to properly fit any kind of in-ear bud but now she's able to listen to music and kind of block out the world around her, turn the volume down on all of her her uh, music and movie streaming when she's streaming on them. And she's hearing things in music she's never heard before. And so you, even just from a practical consideration, now that we sort of normalized that like cheap wireless earbuds are going to be about 80 or $90 and nice wireless earbuds are going to be about 250 right. taking the time to go and speak with an audiologist you know, getting custom molds done for cabled earbuds is not prohibitively expensive anymore. No, no. And, and it, again, it's like you were saying, it's you, you can't be better assured that something will fit uh, <laughs> than having it biologically molded uh, to, to your specific. It's like the closest thing to implants, you know. Totally. And so ideally you want to, you know, it's, it's kind of a chicken and egg in a way because you can pick like you can buy a bunch of earbuds and I wouldn't say, I want to say in-ear monitors here because I'm talking about spending money here. So mm -hmm. you can buy a bunch of nice in-ear monitors and compare them with the built-in tips or use your favorite foam tips or whatever and say, I like the whatever, the Shure or whatever, or the, the, you know, the, you might get custom ear monitors made for them and then realize it's not quite the sound you wanted. That's the mm -hmm. challenge though, right? And so, oh, absolutely. So that's a, that's the tricky thing. And so if you're serious about audio like you and I are, I mean, I'm you know a bit of an audiophile, so I'll, I'll be happy <laughs> to spend some money on that stuff. Just be aware that it's a bit of a slippery slope. But I still think that with the combination of foam tips, 
and yeah. various silicone tips and the silicone foam combination tips that you can customize and get a pretty good feel of where where you your ears sit and it might not be the same for both ears by the way and mm-hmm. you know and and decide which either in-ear monitor or true wireless earbuds are the best sounding for you with the right tips and once yeah. you get that sound and you're happy with it you know if you have already spent 50 I think you can afford to spend the money on custom ear mold because it's like amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Well, and and again, it's kind of building up to that too. It's why I kind of caution people against going out. I mean, like we had a whole conversation before we started recording, like you're on your DT990s and I've got my 770s over here, you know, like different headphones and cans and I'm just getting into planar magnetics. Um, oh, nice. So my my wallet's hurting <laughs> right now, but but you know the 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 whole starting point. You know, um, there are a number of really great resources to check out. I mean, I've got a friend, um, LFA Reviews, who does a bunch of earbud reviews. But you can start this journey looking at a twenty dollar pair of KZs and start getting a feel for what are the benefits of an in ear monitor versus a cheap pair of earbuds, even though they're 20 bucks, it's a dual driver ear casing, detachable cable. So you can pop different cables on there or a Bluetooth band if you want to go with a Bluetooth band. And then you go and get yourself some cheap comply foam tips and you can start to feel why this is a different audio experience than like the crap that used to come with our phones. And from there, you just build, build your own tastes. You know, like I, I think we're really impressed with novelty and when something sounds different, Ooh, it's more colorful or it's more exciting. But the end point for this journey is just arriving at, you know, I'm like you. I do not like a lot of sub bass. I'm I'm really uh I'm really sensitive to mids because I've done voice recording for most of my yeah, career. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's that's where I'm I'm like hyper focused to listen. And so if there's a deep V cut in the EQ, I get real cranky. I mean, just like, no, these are not for me. <laughs> and I take my ball and go. I mean, home. I like super flat, super wide frequency response, super wide imaging, you know, super detailed, punchy, but not yeah. like in your face. Not well, and, and again, so, if you're if you're on nine nineties, you want that articulation. I mean, for me, it's like I have this I have this kind of running jokes. I mean, my edematics are very old now, but they still sound mm-hmm. fantastic. And yeah, I actually I feel like I've outgrown them in a way. Like I feel that they're not colored enough. Like I want a little bit more passion in my music now. But when I listen to them analytically and very carefully, I realize that mm-hmm. it emphasizes and shows you all the things that are wrong with everything. And I'm kind of past that, honestly. I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't want to be that analytical right now. I want to just enjoy the music. Right. So I will accept a little bit of, uh, what's the word, color and variation on that flatness to get myself into a place where I'm enjoying the music again. So, you know, be aware that there is that trouble when you get to that level of, like, pureness, that that's mm-hmm. not necessarily what you want, right? Well, and, so. And- that notion of quality, you know, like we talk about quality in very different ways when we're going from cheap disposable buds to starter in-ear monitors, you know, mm-hmm. different accuracy, lower distortion, better representation of the EQ, blah, 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 blah. But once you kind of reach that threshold, quality doesn't mean the same thing once you start climbing to much, much higher prices. It's not like thousand dollar headphones are going to sound five times better than two hundred dollar yeah the diminishing returns start in my opinion around the three hundred dollar mark oh absolutely i was just gonna say <laughs> you know, it was like somewhere around like, like two to three hundred dollars and then uh-huh. for me it's it's a different conversation on color tone clarity it's not quality in the same way that we understand it for consumers yeah 
I mean, the reason I've been using DT990s over 30, 35 years now is because, I mean, they've been around since the 80s, so it's like, oh, yeah. you know, and, and the ones I have are the Pros, which is a studio one. The reason I buy the Pros is A, they're cheaper, and they're exactly the same <laughs> as the, right. the, you know, because they're used in studios, and they are also more rugged. Like, I can literally drop them from my, my sitting height level to the floor. And nothing bad is going to happen to them. Yeah, I, I live out of 770s and then uh, Sennheiser HD25s just because yeah. I have used those things on so many location sets. Exactly. Like taking you know HD25s out into the desert to hold a boom mic over my head for a couple hours a day. And those things have never let me down. They're just tanks. I know. So, so I love that about them. And then, you know, again, like when I first bought DT990s in the 90s, when I finally had enough money as a poor college student to buy them, they were still like three or $400. Now they're 150 yeah. bucks every day, I all know. day. It's so funny because we have that perception of pro audio being, you know, a tier above, but- you go and look like I love my one mores. That's in a hundred and fifty dollar price bracket. I love you know the AirPods Pro. We're talking two fifty. It's not it's not the same game that it used to be. And there's a reason why Pro Audio has stood the test of time. This, these experiences are kind of universally agreed upon as Correct. being yeah. quality experiences. I mean, you can buy a pair of Grados SR60 or whatever they are oh, for, for like 100 bucks, 75 bucks. Oh, so good. I mean, the problem <laughs> with the Grados is they, they literally like they're made of a biodegradable plastic and they fall apart <laughs> after two years. But I mean, they sound freaking incredible they for the sound money. Great. And I'm joking. I don't think they fall apart after two years. You just have to be way more careful than my DT990 Pros that I made for in day, in day out studio musicians for sure. beating the crap out of them. So, you know, I get it. But I mean, look, the reality is this. I, the takeaway, because we should switch to the next topic, is, mm -hmm. you know, I will link to your LG Tone free reviews because these sound interesting. Right. I will link to my um, OnePlus Buds and yeah. my Pixel Buds reviews. And folks, if you get earbuds, whether they're in-ear monitors that are wired and you're exploring that high-quality audiophile experience, which can start at a very low price point, or where you want the convenience of true wireless earbuds with or without active noise canceling do yourself a favor and play with the fitment of your earbuds mm -hmm. put it in different parts of the ear see where it sounds better sounds worse does it hold there does it fit does it do i try different tips don't just jam them in your ear randomly and expect them to be good <laughs> and don't just assume that the tips that come with it if it has silicone tips is the best tip like try stuff out you'll be amazed how much more comfortable and how much better it can sound once you get a fit that works for you and and always with the goal of being able to turn the volume down too again absolutely like uh, we're facing an epidemic save your ears of hearing loss and uh i think a major contributing factor for a lot of people our age and younger is uh is how much media we can consume over earbuds and headphones now. Totally. All right. So the next topic, um, because we're running out of time, but I want to just touch on it really quickly. The Zenfone 7 was, yeah. and 7 Pro were announced last night. Strangely, Asus did not reach out to either of us about these, <laughs> no. but I will link to Engadget's uh, story. Richard Lai, my friend in, in Hong Kong, did a really good uh, video of them. And um, basically, if you remember the Zenfone 6 last year, it has a camera that flips from the back towards the front, like a motorized, mm -hmm. so that you don't need a selfie cam. So basically, your front 
camera is your back camera because it just kind of pivots up and it means you have a screen that's undisturbed. Now, last year, the, the Zenfone 6 was a $500 Snapdragon 855 phone. It was one of the ones we recommended the most for the money. It had a headphone jack, which was really nice. And the only thing that kind of dinged against it was it had an IPS panel, which wasn't the greatest. So the 7 remedies a lot of that by adding an OLED panel instead of the uh, IPS. And instead of the fingerprint sensor in the back, it's on the side of the phone, uh, which is interesting because they have an OLED. They could have put it under the display. And then it has a triple <laughs> camera instead of a dual camera on that articulated uh, flap. And so basically you now have a telephoto 3X optical and a main sensor and, a, and an ultra wide. Before last year, you had an ultra wide and a regular lens. And so it's all great, right? And then you realize the Snapdragon 865 Plus for the Pro and 865 regular for the non-Pro. And you le you look at the price and we're looking at 950 for the Pro and 750, which I think is really good for a Snapdragon 865. But nonetheless, yeah, to get that 5G, you're, you're really paying for that this year with the 865 and 865 Plus on the Zen Phone 7, right? Yeah, it's it's been one of the more frustrating uh, conversations to have you know, again, you know, people get got really upset when manufacturers raised their prices, but it really seems like component costs, licensing and carrier costs, everything across the board just got, you know, passed down the line from carriers and Qualcomm down to the manufacturers and right back down to the consumers. So, uh, you know, Zenfone was sort of a sweetheart for being such a such a solid buy at such a, you know, reasonable price. And that's just not going to be sustainable for the same kind of hardware, the same kind of experience, you know, the same perks, motorized parts on a phone, which are really expensive to engineer. Uh, all of that kind of snowballs on us. I, I, I was a little surprised to see around that $950 mark for the uh, 7 Pro. But it kind of makes sense, you know, when when we look at what its competition is and how Asus really seems to be targeting OnePlus in some of their their phone distribution strategy. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the same pricing as the OnePlus 8, OnePlus exactly. 8 Pro. And you're getting a slightly better processor on the Pro, but you're mostly getting a much improved camera system across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, the IMX686, which is a 64 megapixel sensor from Sony, is um, is a really great sensor. It really And is. so I'm excited about it. And um, yeah. I'm always going to be bummed when we lose another headphone jack phone, though. That, that yeah, always makes me a little Yeah, it did lose the headphone jack. I know. It's a pain, but hey, you know, <laughs> keep an eye out. I'm going to try to get a review in it, um, so don't despair. We'll get it. We'll get it in the shop soon. Um, the next thing I wanted to quickly touch on is uh, the well, Pixel 5 leaks. So there's a whole bunch lately, yeah. and the latest are that this is going to be a plastic phone. And so my question to you is this. Like, we love the 4A. Mm -hmm. We know what the 4A 5G brings to the table. Bigger screen, bigger battery, Snapdragon 765G with 5G, mm -hmm. right? That's pretty straightforward. And an extra camera, which looks like it might be an ultra-wide. Which would be nice. Um, right? And I'm, again, talking about the 4A at this point, mm -hmm. 4A 5G. So the question I have to you is, if the 5 is the same phone as the 4A 5G, <laughs> but smaller with a smaller battery... And still made of plastic, but maybe loses the headphone jack and maybe gains wireless charging. How are they differentiating there? Like how, Yeah. what would you pay for that? And what is Google's strategy here? Well, man, I, I think Google's strategy isn't really a strategy. Google's strategy is uh, recover, 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 <laughs> recover. Um, you know, 
with, with the exception of Samsung, who controls, you know, the largest distribution network and makes most of the parts that goes into their own phones, every company has had some kind of delay, setback, distribution issue. And we know that the Google hardware division under Alphabet is likely not <laughs> as well financed as, say, even an LG or a OnePlus. Oh, for um, sure. So so when I look at this, the 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 little nuances are it's it's the same conversation. Can Google properly convey to the right consumers you are a Pixel 4a consumer and you are a Pixel 5 consumer? Because at least the the, spe- the the rumor that I saw is that the smaller Pixel 5 was going to have a larger battery than the Pixel 4a 5G. That at ah, least some of those. I didn't realize that. And then again, we're we're still in rumor territory. None of that's confirmed. Right. We don't know that that's what's going to be. But if we're talking your precious ninety hertz display, well, uh, I definitely want that. <laughs> if we're talking uh, wireless charging, definitely want that. The biggie for me: Will the Pixel Five get the neural core hardware that was ah. genius on the Pixel Four? Yeah. So yeah. so I don't think people really understand this. I, I've I've been screaming it from the mountaintops, but we can sit there and praise iPhone 11 Pros all day long for being air quote content creator phones, but no one smashes up image data better than Google. This combination of Google software, Google optimization, and the hardware that goes into this, we could be looking at one of the only 765s to handle video more like a premium flagship tier device. That's my hypothesis. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm willing to give the Pixel 5 an extra 100 to $200 for all those extra things. Like, I know it's going to miss the headphone jack and I don't like it, I but I'll like live it. with that. I'd yeah. rather have wireless charging, IP rating, 90 hertz display. And I'm glad that both the Pixel 5 and 4A 5G are supposed to have an ultra wide instead yeah. of the telephoto because as good as the telephoto was, as I demonstrated in my recent Instagram post of 5X zoom shots taken with the Pixel 4a, mm-hmm. it does a pretty damn freaking incredible job at 5X. Okay? Oh, it really does. And yeah, sure, 2X optical would help, but I'd much rather have ultra-wide. Like, I miss the ultra-wide so much in my 4a review. I'm so used to like, being able to like, <laughs> just capture wide. stuff that is yeah. fun. So so I'm glad about that. I And I just feel, my, my only concern is like, 100 to 200 dollars more for those seems like high when it i'm does. also not getting like i'm getting just a plastic shell yeah and a, and a rear fingerprint sensor like don't get me wrong i still <laughs> like a rear fingerprint sensor i really do because you can unlock while it's still in your pocket and by right. the time you pull it out it's locked it's unlocked but i feel like for a flagship that's like like i'm glad they're not sticking with the face authentication thing because oh, nobody's yeah. adopted the apis right i mean so many apps are still missing it um and, and it's, again, that's Google's fault for not transitioning the developers like Apple did seamlessly. But I feel like if I'm going to have to have one of two, a fingerprint sensor or, or face ID type sensor mm-hmm. on, on a, an Android phone, I'd rather have the fingerprint sensor. So I'm surprised that they would put it in the back on a Pixel 5. No, I, you know? I think Pixel 5 is actually kind of a similar reaction. I, this is so funny. I kind of keep falling into the same you know cycle here. I'm, I'm a broken record, but, you know, the Pixel 4 got savaged by tech reviewers, didn't really sell all that well. And I feel like it was kind of unfairly hounded um, for the leaks that happened a month before the phone actually came out. Like people had their minds made up. They didn't like the Pixel 4 before they really used it um, from a lot of the commentary that I saw. 
but you 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 learn that lesson. So we're going to call the Pixel Five the flagship of the Pixel line. Yes, but if it's coming in at like six ninety nine, and we know it's going to have the bleeding edge of Google software, it's not going to be playing that game with a starting storage of sixty four gigabytes of storage. Yeah, and they learned that you, lesson. Yeah, you know, again, <laughs> that that was the right lesson to learn. Um, I actually kind of would like to get back to alternative materials. Like I'm real tired of glass being the premium material. I'm fine making a compromise when that's reflected in a price that's not going to be starting at $899 or $999. And it's going to be a 5G device. I, I think this communicates and I think this resonates well with a, a pivot. I think just like the Velvet, it's the right combination of compromises given that Google makes a software platform delivery system first and foremost. Everything yeah, that they're yeah, going to no. put into this that's nice is going to show off Google services. You know, Velvet yeah. is all about, can I impress you with metal trim and glass and <laughs> yeah, curved edges? Yeah. That's a completely different conversation and a different set of compromises. But I, I guarantee you, hand in hand, between those two phones, between six and seven hundred dollars, which phone's going to feel nicer as the phone when most people just take it out of their pocket to use it? I'd be willing to bet pretty good money the Pixel experience is going to be more sought after than the Velvet experience. Oh, for sure. And then it goes sure. right up against a phone like the A71. You know, like yeah, you've got yeah. your flagship Google experience going up against Samsung's quietly sort of delivered <laughs> 5G compromise phone. Yeah, no, for sure. I think for me. I don't have any issues with plastic because they're not trying to pretend it's another material. That's my biggest gripe with, <laughs> right. like you know, like the mid chassis, yeah. the the or like the Note Twenty that they're trying to show yeah, off. Yeah, the is... back on the Note Twenty, the mid frame <laughs> chassis on the OnePlus Nord, we like painted like metal. Like, come on, just leave it matte. It's fine. You know, right. we we understand you pick plastic to save money. It's okay. <laughs> Like, yeah, anyway, we should uh, move on. Speaking of OnePlus Nord, there's a rumor of a cheaper Nord, like a Nord Lite or something yeah. that appeared in, uh, I don't remember exactly where they found this stuff, but that says it might have, well, there might be a version of the Nord with a Snapdragon 460. And I'm like, what the uh, F? Not 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 great. I mean, even just stepping down to like a, the, a 630 ish style cpu would be preferable i just it's, i mean 690 there's definitely a rumor on a 695 g phone right yeah i, I mean again it, like i i've loved playing with some of these like hundred dollar phones you know like cool pads and yeah, i got yeah, my yeah, stylo sure. on a great sale i mean right now i have i have a bunch i have the nokia 5.3 exactly i have the moto e and the moto uh g fast they're all around 150 to 200 bucks and they don't suck but they're also not great yeah but stepping down for OnePlus means a number of other compromises on a brand that I don't think has ever really played in that space before. And I think it sets up expectations. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Yeah. You know, between like I reviewed the Nord and I loved it. The Nord itself as it mm -hmm. exists today is a fantastic Super cute. phone. Yeah. But I I'm a little worried when I see what they're doing with Oxygen OS 11 and what, you know, what what these rumors are of even a 690 5G version of the Nord or like a Nord Lite or whatever 460 version that's rumored now that we that could be happening that like they're really diluting the brand like it exactly. doesn't make sense to me well, and, like and when you step back from like a OnePlus 8 to a Nord there there's still like a continuity of OnePlusness for sure and i don't know how you can maintain that, that. Yeah. You step down to a 460, but you're still banking on the OnePlus name. 
And to me, and I maybe worry it's that just that's... India only, you know, who knows? Yeah, well, that that's definitely true, too, is having a completely different regional strategy. But I'm still hoping yeah. that Nord makes it to the United States before holiday season. You know, like it's a phone that deserves to be here. It needs to be here with 765G, though. <laughs> it needs to be here with 765G at $500. I mean, that would blow my mind. I, I, again, I'll be real curious to see if any of these lower cost 5G options can survive the low prices and the the margins as soon as they start playing ball with American carriers. I, I believe every single one has to take a bump. Well, if T-Mobile, who's always very com- aggressive on pricing, agrees to take in on the Nord as it is today with obviously 5G bands for Timo for say 550? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's that's good territory. Again, I mean, right? look at look at how great that fight becomes between a Pixel 4a 5G, a Velvet, an A71, a Nord. Like that gets really exciting and actually starts to move the needle on 5G. Yeah. Moto Edge is in there too, if they can drop the price again a bit, like they had it at launch, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of affordable phone, the last thing on the menu here, we have to quickly mention, I really just want to mention it because we need to wrap up, but <laughs> it's like Moto launched a G9. They just launched the G8. So just to be clear, the, the US now has just the G and the E series. They don't number them anymore, but yeah. abroad, they're still doing the numbering. And so they did the Moto G8 abroad and a bunch of variants. Some of them we got in the US as the G Stylus and the G Power and the G Fast. And and now they're doing a nine already. It's been like what I think it's like six months since the G8 launch. So we're not seeing a G9 in Europe. So yeah, there you go. I it's it's an interesting strategy. I uh I, I Moto's really making too many phones. <laughs> I was trying to find a, a really delicate or polite way of saying no, I, I think they need to pump the brakes. Uh, this this is this is getting a, a little um a, a little a little difficult for me to track. So there's no way consumers are really keeping pace with. I what mean, there up was to. just the G. What was it? The Moto G 5G Plus that launched in Europe as well, which is mm-hmm. essentially a part of the G line, but it's the first 5G $500 ish phone. So it's it's their entry to compete with the OnePlus Nord that came out in Europe, like you know a. Two weeks ago and so now this g9 and i'm wondering if any of these are going to come well the g series the g9 equivalent is definitely going to come to the us in some way or another but i'm wondering if we're going to get a 500 5g phone from moto that's what i want to see happening because they have such good clean software that would make me yeah. happy you know yeah and again i mean it's it's fair to say like oh i'm, I'm never the biggest fan of moto cameras but yeah you know, i've had family members rock you know like my sister just recently got rid of a g4 i mean yeah they, they are daily driver phones and they totally get their audience for you know just getting apps in your pocket as efficiently as possible they're solid phones like honestly i mean they're not exciting and incredible in any way, but they get the job done. Totally. They're pretty good workhorses, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, JC, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? All your various streams and <laughs> channels and social. I know you do a whole bunch of stuff like Twitch. So can you just tell us? For sure. I make too much stuff. So <laughs> um, the the easiest place to kind of keep track of the main thread is somegadgetguy.com. I'm somegadgetguy across almost all of social media. If you search for you know some gadget guy on Twitch, you're going to find me there. Um, and then I'm still uh, producing and hosting for Newegg. So we've got a bunch of videos coming out on game 
gaming. I just recently put out one on mobile gaming, how we would fix the the reputation of terrible, you know, mobile games and gotcha mechanics and stuff like that. The easiest place to find it all is is my website. Yeah. Check it out, folks. I think your content is really unique and I really love it. So I hope that you, my listeners, go and check out JC's hard work and subscribe. You also have a Patreon, right? That's right. I, I do also do a Patreon, patreon.com slash some gadget guy. It's, it's uh, because this has become sort of a less popular content on YouTube. Uh, it's where I keep all of my deep dives for the granular audio testing that I do and the camera comparisons and the, the long form camera reviews that, uh, I've been doing for years now. Um, those are now all on the Patreon. So go support JC, folks. And you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl on Instagram and Twitter. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character, but without the vowels. If you want to discuss the podcast, Twitter is really the best option. If you want to look at pretty pictures of phones and taken with phones, Instagram's where you want to be. If you also want to watch videos and visual moving picture content that goes well with this audio podcast, consider subscribing to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. There's a bunch of unboxings and hands-ons and review videos there. So check that out. Also, if you just landed on the podcast and you want to subscribe, it's at mobiletechpodcast.com. And you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, basically everywhere good podcasts are found, you'll find the show and you should definitely join. Also consider whatever podcast app you're using. If you can rate the podcast or review the podcast, please do it. That really helps. You know, this is a bit of a labor of love for me. Uh, there is a donate link in the show notes. It's a PayPal donate link if you want to help out. I want to thank my uh, audience for recently. Somebody sent me $50. That was quite a nice donation. So thank you for that. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com has been with us since the very beginning of the show. And they're our sponsor, which means that you get something in return for helping them help us, basically. Audible is a really great platform for books, audiobooks. So if you like to listen to books, or I personally like to read books, but I always find myself listening to them because of road trips or other things. I always use this example, but I think it's a good example. If you're like a delivery driver and you're having to listen to maybe podcasts all day, you you know, maybe you want some longer form stuff that lasts throughout the day. And an audiobook is really a great way to do that. So the deal is you get 30 day free trial and uh, you get to keep a book at the end, like a free book, which is great. And if you join, whether you stay or not, you support the podcast. So that's kind of like how the two-way street works and everybody loves it. What I like about Audible myself is they have like the best selection of books. And, uh, you know, some of them are read by the authors, which I think is really great. Like you really get into the flow hearing what they actually wrote with their own hands. It's kind of cool. So consider helping out by joining Audible if you're not already a customer and taking advantage of this uh, opportunity, this offer. There's a link in the show notes. It is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So please consider helping out. And I want to thank Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And finally, JC, thanks for being on the show again. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm Again, you popped up on Twitter and I was like, ah, Miriam, I haven't spoken <laughs> to you in so long. We've got to do this. I know. So cool that you were able to join us this week. And uh, we'll have you on again for sure in the future. And until then, folks, you know there'll be another show next week. So stay tuned for that. 
and uh, we'll see you then. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.